Welcome to Tech Mobility Topics. Climate change is not simply a warming of the planet. It also means more extreme weather, often extreme weather more often of all kinds. In Alaska, they're taking a look at the practicality of EVs in extremely cold climates and conditions. This is Topic B. And for you haters out there, we know that extremes in weather, extreme heat, extreme cold, impacts pretty much any type of vehicle that you drive. Even internal combustion engine vehicles aren't as efficient in brutally cold weather, not necessarily efficient in brutally hot weather. It's more pronounced with EVs, that's a given. Let me start with one thing I didn't know that I want to share with you. An EV left outside in 20 degree below zero weather for any extended length of time, unless it's plugged in, risks battery damage and battery degradation. And that's the one thing I learned in this um, piece talking about the University of Alaska and their research about electric vehicles. I did not know that. Now, to be fair, an internal combustion engine left in the cold, other than the lead-acid battery, typically would not sustain damage sitting alone. The challenge for that is, is the ability of the motor oil to get to the engine before the engine ceases up. And depending on how cold it is and how thick the motor oil is, you could have a problem. But for the most part, while it may make some horrible noises, and I've heard some in bitter cold weather as these cars warm up, they still run and they still function. As early as 2009, the Alaska Center for Energy and the University of Alaska at Fairbanks started researching about the use of electric vehicles in Alaska. And although the technology was very different at that time, up there, most of the vehicles were either self-built or they were conversions. And remember, this is 2009. This is, what, 15 year, 14 years ago. The research team's feasibility study of electric cars in cold region reported, noted, and I quote, electric vehicles can be a viable option for certain users in the subarctic and arctic communities. The way they're looking at it, they're taking a different take. They see electric vehicles not only as transportation, but they see them as energy storage devices that could be used into the grid. Because remember, a lot of Alaska, once you get outside of metropolitan areas, is very isolated. You don't have miles and miles of electrical wires from power plants across the state. That doesn't happen. A lot of these villages, a lot of these small towns have to be self-sufficient. Ironically enough, did you know that EV growth is happening in Alaska too? Last place you would have thought, because you think, oh no, extreme weather, all out of oil, why would EVs catch on up there? But they are uh, down, obviously, in Anchorage and Juneau, but a couple of things working in their favor. Despite the vastness and the beauty of Alaska, and I've been there, they don't have a comprehensive coast to coast, north to south, east to west highway system. It is very local. So chances are if you own an EV, you're not driving 150, 200 miles to anywhere. So that tends to 
promote EV use. Plus, it's in the part of the state that if it's going to be warm at all, you're in the southwest part, you're in Juneau, you're in Anchorage, you're south. You're not in Prudhoe Bay. <laughs> Just a point of reference. But there's still this big article on it. Since then, the state has had a large uptake of plug-in EVs in southeast Alaska, where we talked about, where hydroelectric power enables low cost, sustainable energy, low cost. Imagine that. Limited size of the road systems largely negates driving range anxiety. We talked about that. And the climate is relatively temperate and consumers can directly access used EVs from the lower 48 by ferry. The important part about this piece, and uh, it was in a, actually an electrical magazine, TND World, is it talked about three things that they looked at when evaluating the value or the usage of an EV. They talked about an EV score, which is calculated from a generated curve based on an average daily range loss, normalized, because obviously in the cold, you're going to lose so much, so that's one factor. Maximum range loss, maximum expected range loss based off coldest average. So they're looking at 10 years of weather via NASA. And then something called the MPID, which is must plug in days. Maximum consecutive days where the average temperature does not exceed 20 below zero. Because any length of time at that temperature range, lithium ion batteries get damaged to the point where they get degraded. And this is something that I did not know, but this is research that they've done. The number of registered EVs in Alaska and in the municipality of Anchorage in particular has risen in recent years. And the study did a report that tallies the two types of EVs that charge from the electrical grid. They talked about battery electrics, which is what we're talking about, that run solely on electricity, stolen batteries. And then we looked at the plug-in hybrids, which typically have a more limited electric range. They also talked about, and this makes sense, of course, cold weather concerns are not limited to Alaska as a region with a high uptake of EVs and ambitious goals for transitioning EVs. Norway is a leader in operating EVs in cold climates, and that is true. Outside of China, Norway is it. And that's due to government subsidies and the fact that people figured out that the operating costs aren't that bad over time. And they sell a lot of EVs in Norway, which is a cold climate. However, despite overall progress in Norway, driving range anxiety and cold temperatures remains a challenge to widespread EV adoption. Let me stop right here. I won't get into the specifics of what they talked about, but what it boils down to is this. Keeping the battery pack at an ambient temperature to where it can function. We talked about must plug in days. It has to be connected to an electrical grid, so the cost is slightly higher, not tremendously higher, but slightly higher than operating an internal combustion engine, which, by the way, in that same climate, those of us who have lived in northern climates here in Iowa and north to here um, have got engine block heaters. If you're out in the country, chances are you still use one because it gets really cold. And in order for the vehicle to operate properly and oil to circulate properly, you keep the engine warm so the oil will move and the engine won't seize. So it's not unusual. The challenge, though, for an EV is where is the power coming from to warm the battery to an operating temperature that regardless of the temperature outside, it will still function and will not be damaged. 
they talked about two ways. There's a lithium battery out there called self-heating, and then there's other external plugins, and they talk about the benefits and the uh, negatives to each. I think that resolving the heating problem of the battery, getting it at ambient temperature where it does not knock down range is going to be the thing for widespread adoption of EV vehicles in northern climates like uh, Minnesota, Montana, the northern tier, Canada, particularly in the winter. People have them. People do what they got to do with them. But for widespread uh, adoption, this is something that I think that the engineers will turn to as they continue to tinker with battery chemistries. Battery chemistry is the way to keep it warm or get to a point where all you need is regardless of the temperature, it will work and not get damaged. It was an interesting study in Alaska because EVs are growing even there. We are the Tech Mobility Show. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Kent Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. These days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. 